want to thank Brother Greg for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing this morning. Brother Doug for his good thoughts on the table, for the prayer by Brother Brad, the scripture reading by Brother Tom, all of our brothers in Christ who've led us in our worship. Thank you so much for your service to God and to the people of God this morning. As we begin our second lesson from the Holy Scriptures this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. And my question is, how much do you value truth? How much do you value truth? You know, for most people, for most people, they value truth a lot. For most people, they want the truth, to be told the truth in nearly every aspect of their lives. They want the truth and nothing but the truth from their spouse and from their kids and from their friends and from their doctors and from their accountants and from their realtors and their pilots and their waiters and their politicians and the list goes on and on. For most people, they want the truth and nothing but the truth when it comes to these kinds of things. But for some reason, when it comes to religion and morality, for most people or for many people, they, they don't care about the truth as much. You see, you talk to many people today about religious and moral truth. And they will look you in your eye and tell you that when it comes to that kind of truth, that kind of truth is relative. That kind of truth is subjective. That kind of truth is, is really whatever you want it to be. I mean, you may have your version of the truth when it comes to religion and morality, and, and I may have my version of the truth, and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us with having different versions of truth when it comes to those things because the truth is we can't really know what's true about those things. Unfortunately, that is exactly the kind of thinking that so many people are carrying with them in our lives today. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this issue of truth. We got to make sure that we have our heads on straight in regards to what the truth is as we try to navigate our way through what is increasingly becoming a very postmodern society. And so that brings us to the text in John 18. You in John 18 this morning? John chapter 18, beginning with verse number 38. John 18, 38, we find our Lord Jesus engaged in a very intriguing conversation with the Roman governor or the Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate. In John chapter 18, in verse number 38, after telling Pilate that he had come into the world to be a king and to testify of the truth, Pilate asked him, what is Truth. What is truth? That is a very interesting question. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oh, yes, that's a very interesting question. In fact, when I read it by Pilate, asking the Lord that question, I can't help but wonder exactly how he asked that question. I mean, did he ask it facetiously and sarcastically? Did he ask it in anger and frustration? Did he ask it in sincerity? Did he ask it in humility? Did he ask it with a true desire to know what the truth really was? Unfortunately, even in the context of the verse, it is impossible for us to know with certainty how Pilate asked this question. But regardless of how he asked the question, the fact still remains that it's a very important question. It's a very relevant question. It is a question that people still struggle with 2,000 years later. And so I want to just show you seven verses just from the book of John, just from the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about truth. Pilate wanted to know what is the truth. Well, when you go to John 1 and verse 17, John begins his gospel by saying, for the law, the law, the Old Testament law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Notice how this verse makes it very clear that Moses, the great servant of God, Moses, he gave one thing. He gave the Old Testament law, which included the Ten Commandments, and Jesus gave something else. Jesus gave a system of grace and truth. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You go to John chapter 4 and verse number 24, as Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at a well. He says to her that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. That is, got to worship God with your heart, with your mind, with zeal, with passion, with emotion. And you also got to worship him in truth. That is, got to worship him according to the standard that has been revealed in his word. you got to worship him not just in any way you want to, but you got to worship according to the pattern that's revealed in the scriptures. John 16 and verse 13, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in this verse as the spirit of truth. He's called the spirit of truth because after the Lord ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit would have the work or the responsibility to guide you. And the you there is not talking about me and you in the context is talking about the apostles. He would have the responsibility to guide the apostles into knowing all the truth, the entire will of God for mankind. And they would in turn write that information down for us to know today. John 8 and verse 32, a verse we're familiar with. Jesus said, and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You go down to verse number 45 of that same chapter. And Jesus said to some Jews who were not believing in him, he says, because I speak the truth. Jesus said, I speak the truth. And because of that, you don't believe me. The verse Brother Doug read this morning, John 14, 6. Jesus said to the apostle Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 17 and verse 17, as Jesus is praying to his Father, on the behalf of his apostles, he says to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, your word is truth. A couple of important observations 
I want us to make from these seven passages that we just read from the Gospel of John. First, notice how according to Jesus, according to Jesus, when it comes to truth, when it comes to religious truth and moral truth, that truth is real. That truth is legitimate. That truth really does exist. In fact, Jesus says that truth originates from him. Jesus says that that truth is found in his word, which is the Bible. The question, though, is, is what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that involve? What exactly does the Lord mean when he says that the word of God is truth? I mean, what truth does he want us to know about the truth? Well, I want to suggest this morning that there are at least five things that we need to know about the truth. There are at least five truths that we need to know about the truth, which is the word of God. And the first truth we need to know about the truth is, number one, we need to know that God's truth is unchangeable. It's unchangeable. When we say it's unchangeable, we mean it's concrete. We mean it's narrow. We mean it's rigid. We mean it's like mathematics. We mean it's like two plus two. For all of you who know how to do basic math, you know, you will acknowledge that when you add two plus two together, you're always going to get what? You're always going to get four. You're never going to get five, right? You're never going to get 10 or 20 or 30. You're never going to get one number today and another number tomorrow. You're never going to get whatever number looks and, and feels right to you on a particular day. Instead, when you add two plus two together, you're always going to get four. You're going to get four today, tomorrow and forever. You're going to get four in the United States and in Africa, Europe, Asia and Australia. You're going to get four on planet Earth and on Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. You're going to get four if you go into Walgreens or Walmart or Target today. My friends, if you go into Walmart or Walgreens today or Target and you want to purchase two $2 candy bars and you go up to the cashier with two $2 candy bars but you only give her $3, let me tell you something. Subjective truth is not going to help you in that situation. <laughs> You're not going to be able to look the cashier in the eye and say to him or her, well, I know two plus two equals is four to you, but that's not four to me. If you say that to a cashier at Target today, and I dare you to, that cashier is going to look at you like you're crazy, right? He or she's going to look at you like you've lost your mind. They're going to make sure that you don't leave out of that facility with that purchase because they understand and everybody understands that two plus two is four. It's four today. It's four tomorrow. It's four forever. That's how it works when it comes to the truth of math mathematics. And that's also how it works when it comes to many of the truths of science. 
I'm pretty sure that for all of us who went to grade school, we learned in school that water always freezes at what? 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And it always boils at what? 212 degrees Fahrenheit, right? You know what that's called? That's called a universal scientific truth. That's, that truth's not flexible. That truth is not up for debate. It's not negotiable. It's not true for me, but not true for you. No, that scientific information is absolute. It is unchangeable. It is narrow. It is rigid. That's how it works when it comes to, to many of the things we learn in science. And that's also how it works when it comes to the Bible. That's also how it works when it comes to God's truth that is revealed in the sacred text. You see, like two plus two equals four and like water always freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. God's word is also absolute. It's also unchangeable. It's also concrete, narrow, rigid and the same in every single place. That's exactly the point the Lord is driving home. In John 17 and verse 17, when he calls the word of God truth, but you put what the Lord says there with what Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. He says, and he's speaking to Christians here, to the people of God, since you have an obedience to the truth. Notice that. These people, these people that Peter was writing to 2,000 years ago, they obeyed the truth, religious truth. There's religious truth. They obeyed the truth. And since they did that, they purified their souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently loving one another from the heart. Verse 23, he says, for you've been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. That goes with Luke 80 verse 11 when Jesus in the parable of the sower, if you've hopefully been watching the Bible class videos, Jesus called the word of God seed. Peter is right in line with Jesus there. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass wither and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Notice here how Peter says that like any, any body of truth, the word of God is enduring. It is something that, that lasts forever. When we are dead and gone, it's still going to be here. It's still going to keep going. It will endure. It's not going to change for me, for you, or any other person. First thing we need to know about the truth is God's truth, his word. It's unchangeable. But not only is it unchangeable, a second truth we need to know about the truth is the truth is also independent. When I say independent here, I mean that the truth of the scriptures is not dependent upon us believing it to be true. Again, it's like two plus two equaling four. Look, you can sit here all day if you want to. You can sit here all night, all week, and argue how, about how you feel 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4. But when, you, when it's all said and done, when you're, when you're done with your crying and your pouting and your debating, guess what? 2 plus 2 is still going to be 4. 
2 plus 2, the truth of 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is not dependent upon you believing in it. That's how it works when it comes to mathematics, and that's also how it works when it comes to the Bible. That's also how it works when it comes to John 14 and verse 6. When Jesus says that he's not just a way to heaven, but he says, I am the way to heaven. The implication there is I'm the only way to heaven. The truth of the Lord's words there, the truth of that verse is not dependent upon us believing it to be true. It's true whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. The same is also true of the Lord's words in Mark 16 and verse 16, where Jesus makes it very clear there that baptism, baptism in water, is essential to our salvation. We can sit here today and debate that, argue about that, not like that, shake our fist at that. But at the end of the day, the verse is still going to be there. It's still true whether we like it or not. It's still true whether we acknowledge it or not. That's how it works when it comes to Mark 16 and verse 16. And that's also how it works when it comes to what Jesus says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage in Matthew 19 and verse 9. And that's also how it works when it comes to what Paul says about how women have no authority from God to preach to men in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 11. And that's also how it works with 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 where Paul says that people who commit homosexuality and adultery and fornication and they don't repent and turn away from those sins, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things may be politically incorrect in our time today, and a lot of people may not believe those things and like those things, but it really doesn't matter. None of those truths are dependent upon our belief in them. None of those truths require our acknowledgement of them for them to be true. We can get mad at those verses all day long. We can rip them out of our Bible. We can throw our Bibles in the fireplaces. We can shout, pout, protest, scream, and even openly rebel against them. And guess what? All those verses are still going to be true. They're still going to be there. They're still going to be God's will. We're still going to have to deal with them at some point, whether we like it or not. God's truth is not dependent upon our belief and acknowledgement of it. In fact, that brings us to a third truth we need to know about the truth, and that is the truth can be known. Oh, yes, the truth can be known. And if you don't take anything else away from this lesson, if you've totally tuned me out up to this point, will you at least take this point home? Will you at least take home with you this morning that when it comes to God's truth, his word, his will, one of the greatest things you could ever know in your life, as you can know it. You can know God's truth. That's what Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus says you can know the truth. Isn't that a blessing? You can know it. In fact, not only can you know the truth of God, but you can also understand it. That's another blessing. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 4. The Apostle Paul says these wonderful words, these wonderful words to our ears this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 4. Paul says, verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, when you read the scripture, when you read the Bible, 
you can not only read it, but you can understand, Paul says. You can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul says we can understand the gospel. We can understand the wonderful scheme of redemption. With what you find in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4. Paul says this, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. He says, God our Savior, connected back to the previous verse, God our Savior, verse 4, desires all men, not some like the Calvinists suggest, all men, all people, all men to be saved and to come to what? The knowledge of the truth. Notice how Paul says here, and he says over in Ephesians, that not only can we read the truth, but we can understand it. We can understand a portion of the mind of the Creator. We can understand the will of God for our lives. The Bible makes that clear. We can understand the truth. The question is, are you willing to search for it? Are you willing to search for the truth? Are you willing to open up your Bible every day and, and read it and, and study it and, and grow in it? Are you willing to keep it in its context and rightly divide it and handle it with surgical care and precision? Are you willing to listen carefully when it's presented to you and increase in it and help other people find it as well? I want to show you a couple of examples in the book of Acts. And we've been reading Acts in our Bible reading. Hope you've been keeping up with that Bible reading. I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm scared to see the result of that. So I'm not going to do that. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But go to Acts, because in Acts, I want to show you a couple of examples of some people who went on a quest for the truth. And when they went on that quest, some wonderful things happened. Wonderful things took place. Let's go with Acts 17. We read Acts 17. Few days ago, remember after the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in the city of Thessalonica, he was run out of that city by many of the false Jewish teachers. They didn't like Paul's message. They ran him out of the city. They persecuted the Christians in Thessalonica that he had converted. And Paul then went to the city of Berea. He went to Berea and he preached the same message. He preached the same gospel. But notice what the Bible says about the people in Berea. Acts 17 and verse 11 says, Now these, the people in Berea, were more noble-minded, notice, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Notice here we find a contrast between one group of people compared to another group of people. Here we see that the people in Berea, they received the truth much better than the people in Thessalonica. Unlike the people in Thessalonica, the people in Berea, they heard the truth and they continued to search for it diligently. They searched for the truth and when they found it, they obeyed it and they obeyed it not because Paul forced it down their throats, not because Paul made them obey the truth, not because they just had high 
respect for Paul. No, the reason why these people obeyed the truth was because as Paul taught them, they followed along with him. They searched the scriptures like you're doing this morning. And when they realized that Paul was teaching them the truth, they then did what it said. These people had a love for truth in Berea, and that's why they're called noble-minded. Now, put that with what you find back in Acts 15. I know I've mentioned Acts 15 in a sermon already in the last few weeks, but I, I got to mention it again. Be patient with me because Acts 15 is just such an important chapter. It's so critical. It is, is a, an important chapter because in that chapter, the issue of Gentile salvation, and we're Gentiles, we're from the other nations, we're not Jews. The, gen, the issue of Gentile circumcision is settled once and for all in this chapter. Remember, at the beginning of Acts 15, we read about these, these Jewish false teachers who were going to Gentiles in Antioch telling them that obeying the gospel wasn't enough. Obeying Jesus wasn't enough. They also needed to become Jews. They also needed to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. That was a big problem, and it led to a lot of confusion. It is a salvation issue, and verse number 6 of the chapter says that the apostles and the elders, the elders at the Jerusalem church, because these false teachers came from Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. Translation, they came together to study the matter. They came together to search for the truth concerning the matter. In fact, they were able to find the truth by just looking at what the Holy Spirit had already said about it. And the case of the Apostle Peter in verses 7 through 11, he talks about what happened at the household of Cornelius when he went to preach to Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile man. He had a Gentile household. And after Peter preached the gospel to that Gentile household, the Holy Spirit's power came upon those Gentiles. They started miraculously speaking in tongues. And Peter then knew that the Gentiles on that occasion could enter into the kingdom of God the same way as the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And that was through faith, repentance, and baptism. It wasn't through obeying the law of Moses. Peter makes that point by bringing up what happened at Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10. And then Paul and Barnabas make the same point in verse number 12 of that chapter. When they talk about how when they were preaching the gospel in their first missionary journey, God was giving them the ability to do miracles. And he said nothing to them about preaching, obeying the law of Moses to the Gentiles. And then James, the Lord's brother, the Lord's half brother. He also speaks up at this meeting and he drives the same point home as Peter and Paul by bringing to everybody's attention what the Old Testament said about the matter. James brings up the scriptures. James brings up the book of Amos. He brings up Amos chapter 9. He says that in the book of Amos, God through the prophet Amos announced hundreds of years in advance how the Gentiles would also enter into the kingdom of the Messiah and they would enter apart from obeying the law of Moses. They would enter apart from doing things like physical circumcision. What I just want you to see is in Acts 15, there is confusion in the church in regards to Gentile salvation, and the brethren were able to find the truth concerning that by coming together and studying it. 
by coming together and searching for it. God did not leave them in the dark when it came to this very important salvation issue. And God doesn't leave us in the dark when it comes to salvation issues today. The truth of God can be known. And because it can be known, the fourth truth we need to know about truth is it provokes a lot of different responses. Brothers and sisters, you search the scriptures from top to bottom, Genesis to Revelation. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that whenever the truth was preached by an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, people responded to it in a variety of different ways. For example, in the case of Pharaoh in the days of the Exodus. Remember, the Bible says that he hardened his heart to the truth. What does that mean? Well, that means he constantly rejected the truth. He constantly rebelled against the truth. No matter what miracle he saw performed by the power of God, he wasn't going to let God's people go. He hardened his heart to the truth. And then in the case of the rich young ruler, we studied him last Sunday. Remember, after he heard the truth about what to do in order to inherit everlasting life, the Bible says he felt grief in his heart. The Bible says that he was sad after he heard the truth. He felt great, great sorrow over the truth because he loved his possessions. He loved his stuff more than he loved the Lord. And then in the case of the scribes and the Pharisees, in the time of Jesus, the Bible says that when they heard the truth, they were offended by it. They were offended when Jesus told them that all they gave God was lip service and their hearts were far away from him. They were offended when Jesus called them religious hypocrites. That was the truth, and they were offended by it. But then you put that with what happened to the Apostle Paul when he preached the gospel in the city of Antioch. And in Acts 13 and verse 42, the Bible says that when Paul preached the truth in Antioch, many of those people received it with joy. They were happy about the truth. They humbled their hearts to the truth. They even begged Paul to come back next week and tell us some more of the truth. And then in Acts chapter 2, in the case of those 3,000 Jews who obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, remember after hearing the truth that Peter preached, their hearts were convicted. Their hearts were touched. Their hearts were pricked by the teachings of Peter, and they then wanted to know what to do to be saved. They were willing to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I just want you to notice how when people hear the truth in the Bible, we read about that, they respond in a variety of different ways. Because the truth is powerful, because it's controversial, it often provokes so many different Responses, the question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to respond to the truth of God whenever you hear the truth about, about baptism and about how baptism is essential to salvation? Are you going to embrace that truth because it comes from God? Are you going to embrace that truth and receive it humbly because it comes from the Holy Spirit? Or are you going to do like most religious folks do today when they hear that truth and, and that is try to twist it? 
try to bend it, try to say, well, I know that that verse says that, but, but what about this verse over here? Are you going to do those kinds of things when you hear the truth about baptism in a verse like Mark 16 and verse 16? Or will you just humbly submit to what the Lord has said? And what about when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Matthew 19. What about when it comes to church discipline and the purpose of church discipline that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? What about when it comes to what the Bible says about modesty in 1 Timothy chapter 2? Or when the Lord says that it's even sinful to look upon another with lust in your heart? He says that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28. My friends, how are you going to respond to the truth concerning these matters? Will you humble yourself? And accept it or will you harden your heart like Pharaoh and get even offended like the Pharisees? We need to understand that the truth, it provokes so many responses and we determine how we're going to respond to the truth. But then that brings us to a final thing I want to say, a final truth about truth. And that is, and probably most importantly, the truth is Jesus. The truth is Jesus, Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice how Jesus, like any body of truth, Jesus is unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. People change, cultures change, people's standards change. Jesus never changes. He is the one thing you have that's constant in your life. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Notice how in addition to being the only way to heaven and in addition to being the source of eternal life, Jesus also says that he is the source of truth. He is the embodiment of truth. He is the one who left the glories of heaven to come into the world to reveal truth. He came into the world to reveal the truth about God and the truth about salvation, and the truth about heaven and hell and what to do to be saved. And he even came into the world to reveal the truth about morality. He even came into the world to reveal the truth about what kind of behavior is acceptable to God and unacceptable to God and no politician Judge, court, preacher, or culture can ever change his truth. The truth that has come from Jesus is a truth that will stand even when the world is no more. It is the only piece of truth that really matters at the end of the day because guess what? It's going to serve as the standard that will judge us on the last day. Jesus' truth is the most important truth. And so with that being said, let's close. Let's close our lesson by going back to John 8. We go back to John 8, and we'll close our lesson with the words of Jesus again. John 8, verse 31. John 8, 31. Jesus is speaking to Jews here who believed in him. And like those Jews, we also believe in Jesus too, right? We believe in Jesus. And so notice what Jesus says to us. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. 
and the truth will set you free. Notice how in addition to all these things we've studied this morning, Jesus says here that the truth is also liberating. It's liberating. Jesus says that the truth, his truth, will set us free from our sins when we submit to it. The question is, have you submitted to it? Have you submitted to the truth of Jesus? If not, then this morning, you have an opportunity to obey the truth that has come from the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth in regards to the plan of salvation, the truth that requires you to believe in him and repent of your sins and confess him as Lord and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to do your best to, to walk in his footsteps and live faithful unto him. That's the truth about what to do to be saved. And it's true not because I say it's true. I'm nobody. It's true because Jesus said so. Because the Son of God says so. And if you need to obey his truth this morning, you have an opportunity to do it right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.